Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn Dwyer and this episode is Ireland. 1300 AD, a tale of medieval honour, violence and justice. This episode is a premiere of sorts. Plucked straight from the archives, it's a story that almost certainly hasn't been heard for seven centuries. Indeed, the last time people talked about these events, the Mongols and the descendants of Genghis Khan were the world's superpower. While the memory of these fascinating deeds faded when the protagonists died, the enthralling detail of this tale of honour and vengeance was preserved in court records. Before we delve deep into this history, I would like to explain the absence of podcasts over the past three months. I have been busy. I've just completed my upcoming book entitled Witches, Spies and Stockholm Syndrome, Life in Medieval Ireland. This book vividly recreates a picture of medieval life with numerous scintillating stories. Each chapter focuses on the lives of ordinary people themed around different subjects, looking at everything from the Black Death to war to the strange story of an Irish monk who travelled to China in the 14th century. If you like the podcast series, you will love this book and it'll make the perfect Christmas gift for anyone with an interest in Ireland or Irish history. Indeed, it was during research for this book that I stumbled across the story in this podcast. We're going to begin today at a well-known place, but in a time long forgotten. Bunratty Castle in the year 1277. In 1277, the Gaelic-Irish leader, Brian Rua O'Brien, was brought to the Bunratty Castle, the stronghold of his one-time allies, the Declare Lords of Thomond. 
while he had probably been there on numerous occasions in the past as an ally, this time things were different. The relationship had turned sour and Brian Rua O'Brien was about to see the nasty side of the declares. Not only would he die, but he was going to suffer painfully in the process. He was strapped to two horses and killed in the most excruciating manner, literally being pulled apart. Shocking as this was, the late 13th and early 14th centuries in Ireland were an age of extreme violence and brutality. Indeed, if anything, violence was increasingly shaping daily life more and more. In the 20 years after this horrific execution at Bunratty, the practice of paying capitagem, or head money, increased in Ireland. This saw royal officials pay bounties for the heads of Gaelic Irish rebels, leading to a ghoulish practice of decapitating Gaelic leaders. Worse, however, was to follow. In 1305 in the Midlands, over two dozen leading members of the O'Connor family were lured to a supposed feast by the Anglo-Norman Lord of Tethmoy, Piers de Birmingham, where they were massacred to a man. This event was particularly shocking, as the victims were no strangers to de Birmingham. Indeed, one of the victims of the massacre, Major O'Connor, was his godson. While high lords and nobles used such violence to achieve their ends, they were by no means the only ones to do this. Ordinary people also committed similar acts of barbarism in daily life, which illustrates something disturbing about life in medieval Ireland. Violence was not just the work of the 5% of people who were psychopaths, but a mechanism people used to achieve their goals in life. This is terrifyingly illustrated in a feud between two men in the year 1300. It took place far from the corridors of power near the medieval town of Buttevant in County Cork. The consequences of the following events did not shape the high politics of the island like the actions of someone like Piers de Birmingham could. But for many ordinary people, and in the case of this story, one man in particular, Walter de Capella, the consequences of such violence could be equally life-changing. Generally speaking, when we are talking about the history of most ordinary people from the medieval period, we know very little detail about their lives. But the key character in this story, Walter de Capella, is an exception. Indeed, his background is fascinating and worth a minor detour to look at. Walter, despite his obviously Norman name, was actually a person of Gaelic-Irish descent. His lineage was described in one account as being of the O'Flynn family. Unfortunately, the records don't tell us where his de Capella ancestry came in or how he came to have this name. Presumably, at least one of his grandparents were from an Anglo-Norman family. Walter, however was a living example of the complexity of life in medieval Ireland. While violence between the Normans and the Gaelic-Irish was all too common, so too was peaceful coexistence. In many colonial settlements, the Gaelic-Irish and the Anglo-Normans lived side by side, intermarrying and influencing each other. Indeed, 130 years after the Anglo-Norman invasion of Ireland, people from both cultures increasingly looked alike. A parliament in 1297 had to ban colonists 
from shaving their heads in a Gaelic Irish fashion, a style known as the cool on, a very distinctive haircut which saw the forehead shaved and the hair grown long at the back. Anyway, I digress from the story at hand. While many Gaelic Irish people in the Norman colony lived lives of semi-servitude, Walter de Capella was luckier. He was a free man and worked as a miller. Nonetheless, coming from a Gaelic Irish background, Walter most likely faced discrimination, and indeed, this may have influenced some of the events that are about to unfold. Walter was not the owner of the mill where he worked. Instead, he toiled for the other key figure in this podcast, John Thebaud. Now, we know very little about John Thebaud, save that he was almost certainly of Anglo-Norman descent and was presumably quite wealthy, given he owned a mill. These two men's paths into the historical record began when a dispute broke out between Walter and a woman referred to only as the mistress of John Thebaud. For an unexplained reason, she called Walter de Capella a thief, to which he replied, She was as much a common strumpet as he a thief. Understandably enraged, the woman, far from the passive stereotype often portrayed of medieval women, threatened Walter with violence. Walter equally doesn't fit the chivalrous stereotype of medieval men. He responded by threatening to burn the woman. While it appears no actual violence broke out on this occasion, Walter quickly realised this wasn't going to end well when John Thebaud arrived home to hear his mistress tell a story of how Walter de Capella had called her a strumpet and threatened to burn her. Unsurprisingly, he decided to flee to the house of a friend, Henry de Cogan, where he stayed in the following days and weeks. Although a few weeks did pass with no reaction, Walter de Capella must have known the issue would not simply fade away. From our standpoint in the 21st century, it's almost impossible to grasp just how important the concept of honour and your family's good name meant in the medieval world. John Thebaud did not, and in many ways could not, let Walter's transgression pass. Forty days passed after the argument, but eventually John Thebaud tracked Walter de Capella down. Thebaud sought to humiliate this man who had insulted his mistress, and he did so with great effect. He hauled his former employee back to his house, where he placed him in the stocks. The stocks were a medieval torture device designed purely to humiliate. The victim was trapped between two pieces of wood, which had holes cut for his head and arms. Unable to move or even defend himself, and open to the jeers, taunts and derision of passers-by, Walter had no choice but to endure this humiliation. Injuries from the stocks, though, could even be worse than a bruised ego. If the victim was pelted with rocks or stones or other materials, unsurprisingly, when a chance of escape presented itself to Walter, he didn't think twice. However, when John Thebaud discovered his prisoner was gone, he was infuriated. Walter, by escaping, had again challenged his authority and undermined his prestige. John now gave pursuit. Having grown up in a world that was intensely violent, unsurprisingly, Thebaud decided 
he would physically teach Walter de Capella a lesson. But this lesson would last a lifetime. He was about to escalate the dispute which had begun with a verbal argument beyond all proportion. When he caught up with Walter, he meted out a punishment that was pretty shocking. According to later testimony, and apologies in advance for this one folks, it's pretty gruesome, John Thebaud tore out Walter's eyes. This account from a later court case is literal rather than an exaggeration. This was among the worst non-fatal injuries he could have inflicted on Walter. While visual impairment and blindness makes life in the 21st century difficult, in 1300 it presented obstacles that made life next to impossible. Firstly, Walter would never work as a miller again, but even more basic things would become very difficult. Medieval streets were muddy and uneven, full of obstacles and perilous to the most able of people. For a blind person, they could be lethal. This doesn't even begin to mention the threats posed by some of the people who roamed these streets. Now, while the medieval world at this point must seem like a complete dystopia to you, there was some hope that Walter could find justice. Indeed, by June 1300, he managed to take a case against John Thebaud. No doubt the 30 miles he had to travel to attend the royal court were incredibly difficult. He would have needed someone to bring him there. However, this trip was worth it. His case was heard by the justiciar, the chief royal official in Ireland, a man called John de Wogan. And John Thebaud was imprisoned and fined the substantial fee of a hundred shillings. This was the equivalent of several years' wages for a labourer at the time. More importantly, however, Thebaud also had to give an undertaking to provide the blinded Walter, who could no longer work, with what was called reasonable sustenance in food and clothing, to the tune of 20 shillings per year for the rest of his life. While Walter received this help, unquestionably his life was irrevocably changed. After this, he would have been dependent on others for the rest of his life. Before we draw this story to a close, I think it's important to try and contextualise this violence and understand it in some way. Despite the horrendous acts I've just mentioned today, I don't believe medieval people were somehow intrinsically more violent than we are today. Ultimately, I think they were people who acted violently because violence, generally speaking, was an easy way to get what they wanted. Indeed, even a man like John Thebald, who was punished, still restored his all-important honour and, for want of a better term, his street cred after Walter de Capella had insulted his mistress. To the rest of society, he had illustrated he was not a man to be trifled with and this was something very important in a violent society. I'd be very interested in hearing your views on this. Do you think violence in medieval society was purely a mechanism to achieve one's ends? Would you be as violent as some of these people if you had lived back then? Or do you think there's something else at play? Mail me your views at history at irishhistorypodcast.ie That's history at irishhistorypodcast.ie before I finish, I want to give you a quick update about future shows. So now that the book is complete, and don't forget it's coming out in a couple of weeks, I will be able to get the shows out more frequently. Next up is a podcast that I'm almost finished, 
which is about the top five turning points in medieval Irish history. That's going to be out soon, hopefully within the fortnight. Until the next time, Slán. And don't forget to keep an eye, pardon the pun, for the book in the coming weeks. It should be on the shelves by November, but I will hopefully have a podcast out before then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.